Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Character. It is great to have you with us. I hope you had a good weekend. I did, Randy. Just some good weather. Yeah, took advantage of the weather. Got a chance to live your life. Yep. How about Positive you? Things. Everything was great. I enjoyed the weather, too. Got out, did a couple of bike rides, played some bad golf. It was <laughs> Played some bad golf. It was, it was just fine. And... We got word late in the weekend, last night overnight, that Major League Baseball might be inching towards a season. Jeff Passan of ESPN got a hold of the Major League Baseball Players Association newest proposal to the owners. It is a 114-game proposal by the Major League Baseball Players Association. Season would start on June 30th, end on October 31st. I think the most important point here, though, is not the size of the season, which is up for negotiation, but a caveat that they put in there about if there is no postseason this year, then they are willing to defer $100 million in salary for players making 10 million or more in the season. Now, that seems like, uh, you know, uh, we don't know if there's gonna be a postseason or not. We don't know if there's gonna be a second wave of coronavirus. The point is, owners have talked about having cash flow issues. And one way to alleviate cash flow issues is for players to defer money to the future. Now, they want these monies paid with interest, so it is deferrals with sort of a twist on it. But that being said, it opens the door potentially for more deferrals in an MLB proposal back to the Players Association. One thing you didn't hear there is any give on the fact that they'll be playing before crowdless stadiums and the owners have insisted that they're going to lose 40 percent of their revenue because they won't have crowds so yeah it's wonderful that the players are going to defer part of the income and the players say well that's money i'll never get back well i would think for the owners that's money they'll never get back to right if if they play 2020 without fans that 40 percent of their income is not ever going to be there yeah and isn't that kind of the root of the problem of these discussions is the players want this guaranteed money and the owners are saying okay we understand that but that money is not going to be there if there's no fans and i i do appreciate this from the players because after the uh the proposal that the owners came to the table with last week that we discussed it seemed like the players were going to come to the table and not make any concessions at all that maybe they were going to come and stick a harder line in in the sand so for them to say hey here's what we want we're gonna we're willing to make potential concessions i thought was a positive step in the right direction it's better than the owner's proposal it was much more conciliatory than what the owners proposed last week now all that being said passon says the owners aren't going to accept it 
MLB is going to reject this proposal. It's just an inevitability like it was inevitable that the players rejected MLB's proposal on Tuesday that included the pretty drastic pay cuts for players up and down. But the issue is going to be on the owner side. Now, there is a group of owners. It's a small group at this point, but there's a group that has been fairly vocal about there not being a 2020 season and what the benefits would be to that. And the question is, is this proposal going to give them more ammunition perhaps going forward and being able to bring some others onto their side or are they going to see this from the players as an olive branch saying hey let's find somewhere to meet in the middle we've got a pandemic going on right now we've got a crisis going on across the country where cities are burning and are we really going to be the ones who can't come to a deal right now? If it wants to be the first professional sport in America to come back, then this week is going to be absolutely seminal. We've heard that, though, for the past few weeks, that this week is going to be crucial. This week is the week that a decision needs to be made if baseball wants to come back by July. And I, I agree with Pess, and we've gotten to the point where you can't keep pushing the ball further d- down the field. We've, we've gotten to the point where a decision is going to have to be made if and when baseball is going to return. And to hear Jeff Passan and others say that there's a group of owners out there that think that there's benefits in not playing the 2020 season is really disheartening. Because even if, even if these owners from a financial standpoint could weather that storm that they could say based on the future the future of the game and what these negotiations would look like with the players we think we can pocket enough money to where it's beneficial for us to not play i would like to think that both parties are looking at the bigger picture here that both parties are saying for the long-term viability of our sport in america the popularity of baseball we have got to get a deal done and this has gone on long enough there's Obviously a problem among some owners, and they're tone deaf to what baseball is right now. It's no longer America's pastime. People can live without baseball, and especially the younger generation can live without it as a sport. Even here, where baseball is essentially a religion, and young people love the game, the Cardinals have done a wonderful job of turning Bush Stadium into a giant bar. And it's a social gathering as Mm -hmm. much as it is a baseball game. Well, MLS can become a social gathering. Westport Social can become a social gathering. And the longer sports, and specifically this sport, go without being there, people will find alternatives that are a lot less expensive and they don't need to go to be they already don't want to spend three and a half hours at a baseball game they certainly aren't going to have a need to do so now will it bother people like us yes will it bother uh, an older generation that still looks upon baseball as a rite of passage during the summer yes but there is a growing group of people in our country that won't even notice if baseball isn't played in 2020 without a doubt and One of the things that we've learned during this pandemic is that our routines and our habits can be turned upside down and we as a people can adapt. Mm -hmm. If you would have told us in January, hey, most of America is going to be working from home for months, we would say we can't do that. There's no way we could figure this out from a logistics standpoint. And guess what? Human beings adapt. We figure out a way to get it done. If other sports return, the hardcore baseball fans are going to find a way to move on and enjoy sports without baseball there. And 
I think there's, we've talked about this at length, there's a group of people who are even baseball peers who will never forgive baseball if they don't come back in 2020. To your point about about it being a giant bar and, and it being more of an entertainment thing than a sports thing oftentimes, look at what the XFL did. The mm-hmm. XFL was a league that was unproven that we really had no emotional tie to. They came into St. Louis and what happened? Fans showed up. Fans turned the dome into a party. We called it the biggest party in the Midwest. And that was with zero emotional attachment to this league. Imagine if the NBA comes back and the NHL comes back when we already have emotions tied to them. We're going to pour and channel all of our emotional um, emotions into those sports and, more importantly, our finances into those sports. And you talk about finances. With the XFL, at least initially, the, the first visit when you're doing contact to the league it's affordable. When you're talking about seats being $100, and the Cardinals, I always mention this, do a fantastic job during the summer of making tickets available at $5 or $7 a piece. But the the good seats and the people that are really supplying the bulk of that 40% of the revenue that baseball gets, they're paying $150, $200 a pop for green seats. Mm-hmm. And again, are those people big enough fans that they're going to come hell or high water? I don't know. Meanwhile, the NBA expected to vote on Thursday, the Board of Governors, on an NBA season that would resume in Orlando later this summer. Adrian Wojnarowski. Essentially, the sense that I got from owners and talking to many of them directly today, Ramona Shelburne, Zach Lowe also, they're telling Adam Silver, we're behind you, we're going to support Whatever it is you come to, we basically, we spoke our piece, but we've got to get together now. We've got to unite. And that vote next Thursday will be a formality. Uh, the NBA will be back uh, in, in July uh, in the state of Florida at, um, in Orlando. And never once throughout this, and Woj is, is the most tied in, the insider in the NBA. So when he says that the NBA is coming back, never once did we hear anything about dollars and cents with the NBA. Not once. And never do we really even hear any discord between players Mm -hmm. and ownership or the commissioner. A lot of this was done under wraps. A lot of this was done in a collaborative sense. And it just felt like the commissioner and the owners spoke to the players and said, what are your concerns? Here's what we're thinking. And they had a healthy discussion about it. I know it's different because baseball is trying to come to an agreement in, in different ways. But it's just very refreshing to see a league like the NBA be able to execute this and to hear Woj say it's looking like July 31st that we're this is the first time we got a concrete date that if Woj is saying it's a formality it's going to happen you can circle that date on the calendar and know that within two months we are going to get professional sports back in some way shape or form and it is interesting not only to know that we didn't hear anything about the NBA negotiations but we aren't hearing any, anything about safety anymore with Major League Baseball it's it's all about the money. Which is, again, to continue using the word disheartening. And a lot of fans have been feeling that this has been playing out in a very gross manner for a long time. But to get to this point, to this stage of the game, and have health and safety essentially out the window, and no one's even trying to, ha- to hide under the pretense that it's about testing or it's about the safety of their family, for it to just be out in the open like, yeah, this is all about money, and you as the fans, you may not get a product that you love and enjoy and that really that, that could help you move forward during a very tough time. It doesn't really matter because we just want our money. Another thing that happened over the weekend, Michelle, is that Mizzou has furloughed and laid 
off a lot of employees. It's happened everywhere. It happened here at our station. But it's interesting that Mizzou has to save $5 million after losing out on their SEC money last year because of the sanctions. They were already in financial trouble. They had to really reach out to their donors to get the money to hire Eli Drinkwitz as their new head coach. And now they're having to save $5 million by cutting employees in the athletic department. The athletic department at Mizzou is independent of the university. It it operates on its own with the university overseeing it. But financially, as a business, it's kind of like a subsidiary of the University of Missouri. And so when that athletic department loses $5 million, they have to cut people in the athletic department. Yeah, you have to make adjustments. And it's not a surprising bit of news, but it's upsetting nonetheless. And I think a lot of us are just kind of existing in this as day-to-day, week-to-week. Some of us haven't really looked down, you know, down the path to say, what are the ripple effects going to be for this for different businesses or different sports? And this is just another reality of, of what's happening. And a lot of, because yes, it's a university, but this is also a business. This, yep. is, this is money being generated. And when that money is not there, adjustments have to be made. And can you imagine what it's like for, like, some schools in the SEC, where the players have to take pay cuts. Yeah, it's got to be tough. Yeah. So I wonder if it's just you don't offer a new guy as much or if the, the established guys don't get the cash. Do you think the rate is instead of two duffel bags, you're getting one or maybe a small canvas tote? I, I think you, at minimum, you have to get one duffel bag. I don't think in the SEC you can go to one canvas tote. Maybe some conferences you can do that, but I think you have to have at least one duffel bag to get an SEC quality player. Yeah, instead of a car, maybe you're getting a scooter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Buster only had an interesting piece yesterday at ESPN.com about whether or not baseball owners really have the guts or the stupidity to not have a season. We'll touch on that, and we want to hear from you next on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN. And let's start with this, because I think we do have to give the Cardinals credit. And there are several teams out there, the Royals and the Twins among them, that have announced that, Michelle, they are going to pay their minor leaguers through the season. Uh, Several of those franchises, the Royals among them, aren't going to cut any minor leaguers. The Cardinals cut some right at the end of spring training, about 20 minor leaguers. But there are some teams that are doing a really good job of being humane, mm-hmm. which it, that shouldn't be a job. That should just be an inherent thing. But when you have teams that are cutting across baseball a thousand minor leaguers and leaving them without their opportunity to pursue their dreams or make a living this year, uh, I think that those teams that are paying their minor leaguers deserve to be credited. Absolutely. And when you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, even though you're losing a lot of revenue now that your sport is on pause, it's a small financial concession to make as an employer. So I, I want to commend the Cardinals and all of the other organizations that are doing so. I think humane is, is a good word. But as, as a business owner, you also have to think about taking care of your employees. You do. And uh, players from the Washington Nationals are going to start a fund to help paying their minor leaguers. Adam Wainwright and his mm-hmm. wife have already done that here with the Cardinals. So congratulations to those people. Now to whether or not we'll even have Major League Baseball. And several people wrote yesterday, Buster Olney of ESPN among them, about the idea of not having Major League Baseball in 2020. And he talked to to Sports Center Scott Van Felt, about the idea of not having baseball and what it would mean. To not get a deal done, the consequences are almost unthinkable. 
it probably would spin baseball into a long cycle of labor problems. Because remember, if they, there is no baseball in 2020 and the coronavirus is still manifesting in the spring of 2021, they'd have to come up with agreement then. The collective bargaining agreement is set to expire in December 2021. I have people on the player side saying to me the players could use the option of striking in order to get what they want. And on the owner's side, there might be some owners feeling like, hey, you know what? We've lost so much money already. We're just going to sit back, wait out the players. And all the while, the enmity, the anger of sports fans across the United States, Canada, around the world will continue to grow that baseball can't get its act together. And I think it's beyond fans, Michelle. I think it's beyond us. I think it's baseball partners among networks that expect programming. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal for ESPN. That's Mm -hmm. three hours a night, several nights a week. Obviously, Fox and the postseason counts on that programming. Then you look at the partners. If I am T-Mobile, if I am Budweiser, if I'm Bank of America, if I'm State Farm and I'm an official sponsor, and that's a billion of that $10.7 that baseball makes, and I'm giving them money, but I'm not getting any return for 2020, and I know I'm not going to have nearly as many eyes in 21 or 22 and beyond, then I'm less inclined to partner with baseball, especially when I have expanding MLS and they're coming back too, or I could spend my money with the NBA or with the National Hockey League or with the NFL. Why partner with a sport where, if you like Buster said, you don't know if it's going to be there because if we don't have a 2020, there's a strong likelihood we don't have a 2022. I wonder if the owners and players realize just how dangerous this game of chicken is that they're playing. Because I I don't know if they do. The fact that there's owners out there that are really comfortable saying, if we don't have a season this year, we're okay. Because they know that they have the financial means to wait out players. They know if if this is the game we're going to play, we have the upper hand. The fact that that's even something they're considering makes me makes me very confident in saying I don't think that they really understand what is at stake here for not only their organizations, but for the sport as a whole. And we'll do more on this tomorrow, but I want to hear from you now. If baseball isn't back in 2020 because of money, if it's not because of COVID and we don't have a big rebound of the coronavirus, if they don't come back and it's because of this battle over money this year, would you come back? Here we are in the best baseball town in America. If any community is going to come back, I would expect that it would be St. Louis right. that would come back. Didn't come back right away in 1995. Now, that team was terrible. That was the worst Cardinal team of my lifetime. Then Tony comes in 96, but it still took several years to get Cardinal Nation back on board. It really took McGuire and Sosa. And we've said it before, There's with apologies to Rick Pitino, McGuire and Sosa aren't walking through that door. No, <laughs> they are not. I, I mean, do you, do you think there's any star in baseball that people care about enough that they're going to turn on the TV just to watch that person? It's all about the laundry today. And I was thinking about just an event because we're not going to have a home run chase. Nobody's going to steal a bunch of bases. There isn't a pitcher like Fernando Valenzuela that's going to capture the attention of America. So what player or event would it be, and help me because I can't think of one, that would fill baseball stadiums in 2020? I don't, I can't think of one. And, to, and you mean when fans are allowed back? If, yeah. If, if 2021, if, if, if we don't have a season and in 2021 you're allowed to buy tickets, what are you going to buy tickets for based on the fact that you haven't seen baseball in 18 months? 
what event, what player could there possibly be that would cause people to want to come back and watch? I think it would just be more ritualistic. It would be, hey, we we love baseball. We've really missed baseball. But I don't think the sentiment would be the same. You mentioned Bush Stadium and Ballpark Village being a big bar. I think it would be a, more of a social event than an emotional event for a lot of people. But then I think... If we get to that stage of the game in 2021 and there's no 2020, the fans, they're voting with their income. They're Mm -hmm. voting with their money. And if the NHL came back and during this very uncertain and upsetting time in American history, we got the joy of watching Stanley Cup playoff hockey and it was part of our return to normalcy as a society, people are never going to forget that. Especially in a baseball hotbed here in St. Louis, you also have the Stanley Cup champions down the street. Mm-hmm. And for for a lot of families who had to make that decision, okay, I have 200 bucks to spend. Do I want to go to Bush Stadium or do I want to go to Enterprise Center? I think there's a lot of people on principle that would say, I love the Cardinals, but I do not want to support baseball. And I think nationally, it's going to be even more exacerbated for baseball Mm -hmm. because we do have the love of the Cardinals here. It's going to be very difficult, even coming back, if they come back next year after having no fans this year, I think it's going to be very difficult for baseball to come back because they brought up money. And I think that's the bottom line. We never, during these negotiations, should have heard about money. We haven't with hockey, didn't with basketball, football, it's not going to be an issue We never should have heard about money. And I think that's where baseball is really tone deaf, especially now in a pandemic with so many unemployed people. They're they're just completely oblivious to what's going on around them. And we both love baseball and we'll be Cardinals fans and be talking about the sport. But for for the people by this that that may never come back, I hope that the... Gosh, it's it's so hard to even articulate this because it, it gives me anxiety to even think about baseball coming back. We're all looking at this through a selfish lens. The owners are looking at this through what is best for me. The players are looking at this as what is best for me. Me talking about this right now, I'm thinking about as a baseball fan what I want. We all are looking at, at this through a selfish lens, but I think the people in power, the owners, the players, the people that have power to influence this decision need to not think about it from a selfish lens. And that's a very difficult thing to ask them when it's their money at stake. But it's it's hard to say to a player who has a finite amount of time in their career and who feels like they have earned money, it's hard to say to them, hey, don't consider the money. Consider the game as a whole. When he, when he's, his response is, but I have earned this and I'm just a cog in, in this entire operation. I need to get what's best for me. It's hard to ask them to be less selfish in these negotiations. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to ask you and I as baseball fans who are dying to watch baseball to be less selfish and understand their point of view. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up on June 14th, ESPN has put together a documentary about the summer of 1998. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and the great home run chase. Gary Gaetti was a part of that 1998 Cardinal team and a part of the 1998 Cubs. We're going to talk to him, the St. Louis Sports Hall of Famer, next on 101 ESPN.
Buck had the call on Fox in 1998. And coming up on June 14th, Father's Day night, ESPN will have a documentary called Long Gone Summer about that home run chase of 1998 between the Cardinals' Mark McGuire and the Cubs' Sammy Sosa. And one guy who was on both of those teams that year was third baseman Gary Gaetti, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with Michelle Smallman. Gary, this is Randy Carricker, and thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Not a problem. It's a pretty interesting event that happened. It's a nice memory, so it was a good time. Gary, before we get to the home run chase and your memories of that, you're a Centralia kid. I want to know, what was it like for you in 96 when you first put on a Cardinals jersey? Do you remember what that felt like in that moment? Yeah, that's pretty special. And uh, I kind of describe it like, you know, Obviously, a dream come true, but I'd be out there playing on the field, and I'd have that same warm, fuzzy feeling of what the ballpark smelled like when I was a little kid coming over there to watch the games and stuff. So, I mean, it's just it's like coming, you know, full circle in a career where you know you got to do the very thing that you grew up want, you know, wanting to do. So, it was really awesome. When you say that, that you can get those nostalgic feelings of what the ballpark smells like, I think all of us in St. Louis can close our eyes and we know exactly what Bush Stadium smells like. But what, how do we describe that smell? It's like beer and dirt and hot dogs. It's a really great combination. <laughs> I know. Just a little bit a little bit sweet, a little bit sour, you know, but it's just something you never forget. I think that sense of smell is the one, you know, sense that stays with you forever, you know, and it was just like, it was so weird to be out there on the field and then smell that you know the wind must have caught it just right and man i remember what it was like coming over here when i was eight years old it smelled just like that so no it's just that's just a neat thing that's the voice of uh, former cardinal gary Gaetti, who came to the cardinals in 1996 was with that division championship team 97 and then until august of 98 and i want to go back to when the cardinals got mcguire and you saw what he did down the stretch in 97 and as we started 1998 we in the media were all talking about it, and i know you guys were thinking about him breaking that record. What was it like in spring training that year? Because I, I remember there was a lot of media there for McGuire's first spring training with the Cardinals. Yeah, there was a lot of everything there that year. So, I mean, it was it was great for the rest of us because he drew all the attention to himself, so we got to relax a little bit. But then, you know, it was just a scene. I mean, the whole thing was just was, like unbelievable, unreal, and, you know, pretty special to be a part of it. I wish... I'm sure Mark would have traded all of it for the, you know, winning, but, you know, it was still a special time. Gary, with all that media attention that was going on during that home run chase, was it sometimes hard to focus on the game? Because you're, you've got a front row seat to this unbelievable moment in baseball history. Is it hard sometimes to think, oh, yeah, we actually have games going on, too, that we need to focus on? Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, it, it was different, you know, with the Cardinals because... I really, you know, it wasn't going that great as, you know, as a team. And then the Cubs, the excitement was all about the Cubs making it to the playoffs, you know. And I ended up over there late in the season. So it was a lot more emphasis on, you know, the games. And and um, yet it, the focus during batting practice and, the, uh, you know, the downtimes and stuff like that, I mean, the games were still good, but the batting practice was just a – like a riot it was just how far is this guy going to hit one and i mean it was it's kind of hard to describe but it was just like going from one circus to another 
as you mentioned, Gary, that 98 season, you start with the Cardinals, and then in August, you're acquired by the Cubs. When you first went over to the Cubs, quote, the rival team and all of this, did they get asked for a scouting report on, on McGuire? What were those conversations like when you went over to the Cubs? Not really. I mean, we just, I remember we played them a couple times, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was a secret agent that was going to, you know, tell them what to do. I mean, they'd seen him enough to know, but. You know, I mean, still, you still wonder why, you know, at times guys pitch to Sammy or Mark, you know, why, I'm, why even take a chance there, you know, but then it comes down to being, you know, playing the game the right way and, and um, still, you still have to hit the ball, you still have to throw the ball and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't some secret strategy, but it was kind of cool to see. Gary, what stands out in your mind's eye? What's front of mind for you from your time with the Cardinals through mid-August of that year? Is there any home run or any event on or off the field that you really remember? Well, I was looking at some stuff the other day in my scrapbook kind of things. I do remember the home run, the big one, you know, that, you know, put him in front. And the pictures that you see, I mean... I remember getting a greeting coming around third base and got a picture of, you know, a little high five and a hug and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't, I, I will say like this, when, when I got over to the Cubs, I really thought Sammy was going to be the one to do it because he was so hot at the time. And then they were going back and forth and back and forth. And then it's like the, uh, the chase to the playoffs there with the Cubs in the end, um, it kind of took little precedent over, you know, who was going to actually hit the most at the time. And it was more important that the Cubs, you know, we won than, you know, the, the home run thing. But um, I don't know. That's what it seemed like to me. I'm, there was a time when they were both tied at 66 or something like that. I really thought Sammy was going to win it. It was perfect to me that Sammy was on the Cubs and Mark was on the Cardinals. That just added to it. Obviously, he had the rivalry between the teams. Was there a rivalry between those two players? I think there had to be a little bit of, you know, macho pride of who's going to do it. And I think they were genuinely, you know, cordial to each other, you know, when it came time, when it came down to it, I think. But, you know, I think anytime somebody's going for a batting title or a home run title or something like that, there's got to be a little bit of, well, I hope he, you know, I hope he strikes, <laughs> strikes out this time or whatever. But, no, I, I think they were pretty gentlemanly about the whole thing. And I want to get your take on that season. You talked about how McGuire took a lot of pressure off of you guys from a media perspective. And he had a tendency to be terse and tense with us in the media. But when the clubhouse doors were closed, what was Mark like then? Um, Mark was a pretty private guy, to tell you the truth. I mean, he was not a... Um, I mean, he would he would find his solace and you know i think you know getting away from all of it you know and i don't blame him at all i don't know why he would be terse with you guys i, I don't <laughs> understand that <laughs> trying to talk to a mob of people every day it was just jabbing microphones in your face and i'm sure he got tired of answering questions and so he, he was he was pretty private I, you know whether it's a whirlpool bath or you know just getting some ice in the training room i think he liked to get his private time and then try to sneak out there i sneak out of there and his so public his private life is just going to be destroyed but you know i felt sorry for him in that regard but he wasn't like a you know he wasn't a totally different person than you'd see in the club in the dugout or in you know in the interviews and talking like that but, i mean just a decent guy and 
it felt kind of privileged sometimes if you got to actually talk to him and you know in a real setting. Mm -hmm. So. Gary, I got to tell you a, a quick story. In April of that year, there was a vote here in St. Louis, and one of the news there was something about gun control on the ballot. And one of the news stations sent a news reporter over to ask Mark McGuire what he thought about this gun control issue that's on a ballot. When you talk about why he got tense and terse with the media, that's a perfect example. They were asking him every ridiculous question in the book. I know. Yeah, I mean, let's get his spin on it because he's the most important person in the world right now because he can hit home runs. Oh, I know. I mean, I've been curious to see what Mark's answer was to some of that stuff like that instead of. He said, "Why don't? How would I just answer it like this, and I'll just pinch your head off?" Okay, something like that. <laughs> right. It, you mentioned that you felt privileged to be with it, and Michelle and I were talking earlier about where baseball is now. And I said, "McGuire and Sosa aren't walking through that door." As you watch baseball now, can you envision another summer like that? Another event that will get the the nation as fired up as those two did that summer? I don't know. Um... Maybe, but I mean, I, I couldn't imagine what the coverage would be like now. I mean, I think it'd be interesting. I think the one thing that it would be cool to see was if somebody could hit 400 again. You know, I mean, I just <laughs> I, I, it would be it, you would have to have uh, security detail today to even get to through the ballpark or some kind of almost like a secret service to do it. But yeah, it, it, the, the media horde would be. Unbelievable. Gary, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for taking some time and sharing Thank some you. memories. We appreciate it. Well, that's no problem. Thanks a lot. Those are good times. Yeah, definitely. Have a great Thank day. You. Take care. Thank you. That's the former Cardinal of the St. Louis Sports Hall of Famer, Gary Gaetti, with us on 101 ESPN. What, what an interesting perspective he has of that home run race to be on on both teams during the same uh, during the same season. Unbelievable. Yeah, and like he said, and I, I agree with him. There had I, I know that on McGuire's side, there was that macho who's the best rivalry. I have to believe Sammy felt the same way, right? Oh, you. Ha I mean, these are athletes. They're wired to think that way, yeah. and whether it's. Um, a rivalry that they intended on or not, it developed nonetheless. And you mentioned it's Cardinals and it's Cubs. Of course, there's going to be some hatred and some rivalry there. I was I've been watching a lot of videos on this on the home run chase just to kind of refresh myself before the documentary comes out. And there's this video of McGuire that I saw where he was talking about. I believe he was at Montreal before a game, and he was on the field warming up. And on the jumbo, he just hears the crowd make some noise, and he looked up and he saw on the jumbotron they. They were showing during warm-ups of a different game, Sammy Sosa hitting a, another home run. And he said, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to put it into high gear here. <laughs> but to think that he's just trying to get ready for the game and he can't escape it anywhere. He looks up on the jumbotrons and they're featuring a Cubs game. So that uh, that's how locked in everybody was to this. So I imagine whether you intended on it or not, that's your rival. That's who you're, who you're going against in this war, this battle. And you mentioned BP. That was incredible because the Cardinals would open up the gates at four and they'd have 20,000 people in the stands to watch batting practice wow. so that people could just watch Mark hit 500 foot bombs in batting practice and people would go out to the upper deck and left field so that they could collect batting practice home run balls. That is so cool. It was how fun. It was an awesome summer. It really was great. And it's amazing now to look at Major League Baseball. Think about it from this perspective. Before McGuire and Sosa in 1998, Babe Ruth had hit 60 home runs in a season. Roger Maris had hit 61 in 1961. 
Those two each hit 60 in 1998 and each hit more than 60 in 1999. Now, granted, they had helpers, Mm -hmm. but it changed baseball forever. And nobody will ever get to 73 again. There won't be McGuire's 70 or Bond 73. It just won't happen again. So we were, even though there were helpers involved, everybody was playing, I believe, on a, a level playing field. It was it was fun to watch. I can't wait for the documentary. It'll be good. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It for you on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle, we got this text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, uh, and we're going to get to take it or leave it here. 73 home runs so far out of reach for anyone in MLB today, but if you had to pick one player to give that record a run for its money, who would it be? Who would it be for you? That's a very interesting question, and the fact that not one person jumps out right away, I think is pretty telling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh is there somebody that you have off the top of your head? I would think there, there's two. And, and the first one that comes to mind for me would be Aaron Judge. You had 52 as a rookie. He's young. And if he can ever play 155 games, that would be the guy I would think that could give... I'll put it this way. I, I think he could join the 60 home run club. My response to that was going to be, yeah, if he could stay healthy. Yeah. Um, Stanton's in that conversation. He, he hit 59 a few years ago. So... Uh, Right now, I would say all three of the guys would be in New York. It would be Judge, Stanton, and Pete Alonzo of the Mets. Those would be the three that I would think of. But if you force me to pick one, I'm going to go Aaron Judge. All right, time for Tioli. Colin has your questions via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Colin, take it away. Over the weekend, we saw NASA astronauts being sent into space from U.S. soil for the first time in almost a decade. These astronauts are going to join three crew members already up in the International Space Station. If possible, you personally would like to vacation in space one day. Take it or leave it. I'm going to leave it, and I'm going to leave it hard. It doesn't seem like a great time up there. You have to eat, you know freeze-dried food or whatever it is that you have to specifically eat up there. You're floating around all the time. It just it doesn't seem like it's very comfortable. I'm sure it's an exciting experience. Of course it's a it's for these people a very rare experience. It just doesn't seem that it, when I think of vacation, we talked about this with Disney World. I want to relax, okay? I want to unplug. I don't want to be floating around having to eat a freeze-dried grilled cheese. It doesn't sound awesome to me. Here's the thing. Once they put us into that spaceship, I'm going to be claustrophobic with in two minutes before we even take off. Right. I, I once had to do a, not had to, I did it and it was fun, but I rode in one of those, uh, the biplanes for the show down at Fair St. Louis. Oh, cool. It wasn't even like a jet. BT rode in with the Blue Angels, but this was just a, a, a biplane and I didn't throw up, but I thought I was going to. And there, And part of it was just the heat and the claustrophobia and wearing a helmet. There's no way I could even get started, let alone... Do, uh, do they have first class in these things? Probably not. So uh, unless this is a comfortable ride for me, there's no way I'm doing it. And I don't think that I would like space. I don't. Yeah. It's probably too cold. Um, Randy, have you ever been on a cruise? I have. Did you enjoy it? I did. So I went on a cruise, and I hated it. I hated that 
my schedule was set for me. When I'm on vacation, I don't want you to tell me you got to be here at this time. You've got to do this at this time. I want to wake up when I want to wake up. I want to eat where I want to eat. I don't want those guidelines in place. I also hated that I was stuck on this boat. And if I wanted to get away from people, I really couldn't. Uh -huh. Imagine if you're stuck in space. Oh, yeah. what, what if you're... Your uh, fellow vacationers you don't like. You are stuck with them in space. Right. Yeah, you aren't getting off the spaceship like you yeah. can get off a cruise boat now. Exactly. Like from the 618 on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, if not for the injuries, Ken Griffey Jr. is the all-time home runs leader. Yeah, I think that's legit. Um, I don't know that he gets to 757, though, because... He, uh, in terms of hitting home runs, once he got to Cincinnati, even when he was healthy, he didn't hit tons of home runs. So I'm, I'm going to leave it. Take it or leave it. Ken Griffey Jr. had the sweetest swing in the history of baseball. Take it. Um, well, Clark had a pretty good swing, man. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, t I'll take it. Yeah, it was a pretty good swing. I've been watching, like I said, a lot of videos from, from that time heading up to the documentary. And I thought, man, has anyone in baseball really ever had as much swag as him? He was the coolest. He yeah. is the coolest. But, I mean, just I remember as a kid watching him and being like, Ken Griffey Jr. is the coolest. <laughs> His 162-game average was 38 home runs a year. So if he would have played 20 years, he played 22. But if he would have played 20 healthy, he could have pulled that off. But it's just hard to do. He hit... How many times did he hit more than 40? One, two, three, four. So, yeah, he hit 40, more than 40 home runs a lot. And he hit more than 50 on one, two occasions. Hank Aaron never hit 50 home runs in a season. So, yeah, maybe he could have done it, but obviously the health wasn't there. And you look at once he got to Cincinnati after that first year, it just didn't happen for him. Edmonds had a pretty sweet swing as well. Yeah, this one. Yeah. From the 636, take it or leave it, Big Mac's home run celebration was way better than Sammy Sosa's. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, And Sam, Sammy's it. wasn't bad, but McGuire's was, was epic, yeah. Even if you thought Sammy's was better, would you really say it? No. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> From the 618, college football will start by September 5th, take it or leave it. I'm going to take it. Against their better judgment, I think that they're anxious to get, so anxious to get going. Heck, the SEC wants to have players on campus by a week from today. Yeah. So I'm going to take it, but I don't know that it's the best thing to do. From a logical standpoint and a logistic standpoint, I, I look at it rationally and say, I don't know how you execute it. And then I think, it's college football. Yeah. Of course it's going to happen. So I'm going to take it too. It was reported over the weekend that the Celtics are most likely going to give Jason Tatum a max contract this summer. Tatum is the best current athlete from St. Louis. Take it or leave it. In terms of athletic ability, I would take it. But in terms of production, I think I'd have to go with Max Scherzer. I was going to say that's the only other name really in the conversation for well, me. Zeke Elliott. Oh, yeah. Brad Beal. I'm going, I love Brad Beal, but I'm going Tatum over Beal. I think yeah, I'd take Beal. I, I think I'd go Tatum, too. Um, but but Max Scherzer is... I mean, yeah, he's won three Young Awards. He's World Series World champion. Series <laughs> champ. So I, th I think overall I would have to go with him. Yeah, me too. 
49ers tight end George Kittle is looking for a raise. His agent tells the NFL Network that he wants more than just top tight end money. Top-tier tight ends should be paid as well as top-tier wide receivers. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, especially when you're as productive and prolific as he is. But you're going to have to combat the the idea that Gronkowski never got that yeah. kind of money. And I, I think that's going to be very difficult. And heck, who was it? Uh, I think it was Tony Gonzalez that wanted to be paid as a franchise player like a wide receiver because he, he actually lined up more in a non-traditional tight end wide receiver area. But an arbitrator called him a tight end. So that's what he wound up with was tight end money. So I, I would think that, unfortunately for George Kittle, he's probably headed down that same path. How frustrating if he is getting the production of a wide receiver. He's essentially lining up that mm-hmm. way. But then because of his position title, he can't get paid that way. Yeah, frustrating. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up, a lot going on in our country. Our fresh take coming your way on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.